Greetings. This is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. As we continue to navigate this new world order of lockdown and staying at home, we are still able to produce podcasts. And joining me today on the podcast is Chuck Bath. Chuck is the Portfolio Manager on the Diamond Hill Large Cap Strategy, as well as the Large Cap Concentrated Strategy. Chuck started in the industry in 1982 at Nationwide Insurance before moving over to Diamond Hill in 2002. He is a graduate of my alma mater, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Uh, He received his master's in business administration from The Ohio State University. And Chuck has been on Morningstar's Ultimate Stock Pickers roster since June of 2012. The Ultimate Stock Picker roster includes top domestic stock fund managers with tenure greater than the category average which is the large cap value blend and growth category in the one, three, five, and 10-year returns that are greater than the broad equity market returns. Chuck is joining me to discuss this moment in time relative to other periods in history where we have seen volatility and crisis and to give his thoughts on where the opportunities reside right now in the market as well as where there are risks in the market. Thank you and enjoy. So Chuck, I want to start off by thanking you for joining me during these uh, pretty crazy times in the market. Um, yeah. Let's jump. Uh, let's jump right into the questions. So, uh, over the last four weeks, we've witnessed the fastest thirty percent decline in the S and P five hundred's history. Um, you and your experience have seen many different market environments um, over your nearly forty-year career. Uh, what stands out to you the most uh, about this one? Yes, I would say it probably with the uh, r- rapidity in with which the underlying uh, economic fundamentals of the world basically changed. If I think back to the 87 crash, why that was sort of uh, many months in the, in the making as the market continued to rise in a period while, while uh, interest rates were rising, so it created a valuation problem. And the 0809 uh, sell off, we had a situation where the financial uh, markets were teetering for quite some time before that uh, flowed through to the markets. Here we had a situation where, uh, what was it, late February, the market reaches an all-time high, and and three weeks later, we're down 30%. So I I would say, and it's based, and the the sell-off is based less less on financial turmoil and more more, uh, underlying economic turmoil uh, due to obvious uh, unusual circumstances. So I think that is is the way this changed so much is it was not a financially driven uh, decline, it was a decline driven from an extraneous shock to the worldwide economy. So that's, the, that's some of the differences. Um, and, and as you said, it's, it's obviously something completely new and different. Um, what about some of the similarities um, in what we've seen over the last you know, four weeks? Yeah, I would say that the big similarity uh, with 08, 09 is the, the speed with which the Federal Reserve is responding to try to shore up financial markets, actually probably acting more quickly now than they did in 2008, 2009. And certainly we're getting a, a, a um, fiscal response quicker than 08 and 09. Um, so I think that is probably the, 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 the biggest similarity though is uh, the, uh, the uh, uniting of, of government and, and Federal Reserve forces to try to uh, solve the problem rather quickly, uh, rather than say in previous sell-offs like in uh, 87, 88, or 1990, when basically they were the mar- the, the uh, 
fiscal authority sort of stood back and waited for the problem to uh, work itself out. Yeah, and this and this time, much like 08, it's not as if you know you could the, the government and the Fed could have taken the standpoint of we're just going to stand on the sidelines and, and let things happen as they do. But but you couldn't do that in 08 and 09, and you definitely you could do that right now. What was interesting, they tried to do that in 08 and 09. If you remember, um, Bear Stearns was almost let to fail until they were rescued, and they let Lehman fail. And there was uh, some thought that they should have to let, let the free markets work itself out. And then things got worse, they acted. I think the 08, 09 experience is fresh enough. They're not waiting to see how this plays itself out. They are acting with, with rapidity uh, because they don't want to get to where they got in 08 and 09. Um, in the past, you've spoken about how low interest rates and low levels of inflation justify higher terminal multiples. What is your outlook? Uh, I know you're not a fixed income guy, but what is your outlook for interest rates and inflation today? Well, that's interesting. Uh, we've had this discussion internally. Uh, we, uh, my career has been defined basically by a uh, bull market in, in, uh, in treasury bonds that's run from what, 19... 81 or so, I got started in the business in 1982 to, to date where, uh, what, a couple of weeks ago, 10-year treasuries were about 50 basis points. Now, this, this is the kind of extraneous shock that could uh, end uh, that kind of a bull market. We're talking about treasuries now, not, we're not we're talking about stock market. And so do we have a situation where we've seen the low in, in interest rates for an extended period of time? Uh, that could very well be, and uh, we will see. Uh, it's tough to see 10-year treasury rates getting lower than 50 basis points. But the point is this could have meaningful impact on long-term uh, uh, fundamentals for the equities market. And if you would say what would cause that uh, uh, sort of play out on a secular basis, it would be a return of inflation. Now, clearly there's no signs of inflation returning right now with oil prices going, uh, making new lows. But this sort of fiscal stimulus for a, what could be only a short-term shock to the economy, the, the economy recovers, but the fiscal stimulus and the monetary stimulus remains. So we could see a pickup of inflation, uh, economic growth, but also interest rates. We will see, um, but that in terms of, and then what's the what are the implications for equity markets? Well, uh, in that environment, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit now because I'm just thinking about how this could play out. In that environment, we, were, we could see economic recovery, but um, rising levels of inflation and therefore rising interest rates. Those are the, I, those are the things I'm looking for that could play out over, over this, in this environment. Uh, something I'm trying to be, be very cognizant of. The risks I'm looking for for long-term investors, not that, that's, that's different than the risk we're dealing with in the next six months. We could create longer-term risks for uh, equity, equity and fixed income investors if it, if it causes uh, inflationary stimulus to the worldwide economy, something we haven't seen in quite some time. So following up on that, um, are, there, are there sectors or themes um, with, with such a dramatic drop and valuation on the equity side. Um, are there themes or, or sectors that you're looking at that you're finding especially attractive right now? Well, what we've been looking at, quite frankly, uh, because I, I often look at these sort of broad-based sell-offs as, as opportunities to upgrade the quality of the portfolio, is to look at for companies that many names, which we have been looking to buy for long periods of time and have not been able to do so because uh, valuations were too high, and seeing these a great opportunities to add them to the portfolio, and uh, obviously with low levels of cash, why we've been selling names in the portfolio, which uh, we're concerned about that uh, become under a great deal of duress in this type of market environment. And those are companies with both operating uh, cyclical and financial leverage. 
And so we're trying to uh, be sure the companies we're invested in get through the next six months uh, financially strong so they can take advantage of the opportunities once the economy does recover. And so uh, for the most part, we're looking at companies not on how they're going to be fund valued on the fundamentals of, or the income statement of, the, of 2020. We're focused on the balance sheet in order to work your way through 2020, and then the income statement of 2021, 2022, et cetera. So um, balance sheet analysis is probably more important than it's been maybe in my career, because we've got uh, the, the, the kind of severity of stress that's going to take place we haven't seen before in the next six months. And you got to be sure your company survives that. And then you want to be invested in companies in which we think can thrive in an environment coming out where, where um, uh, strong competitive positions and the strength of balance sheets could allow these companies to take market share and accelerate their growth in an, in an economy that is recovering. So uh, the opposite side of that, you know, you're talking about areas that are looking attractive and why. Um, what about areas that you're avoiding or you're concerned about, whether it's just due to uncertainty, the high levels of leverage or valuations that you just, you're trying to stay away from? Well, I'm trying to see how will the world be different a year from now than it, will, than it was going, that was my view of the world, you know, uh, four weeks ago, uh, looking about in the future. And for the most part, I, I think economic fundamentals will remain the same. The difference is the valuation of the, of the stock we're getting to buy. But there may, could be some uh, changes. For example, I mean, this is in an area we're heavily invested in, so I'm not really, uh, I feel free to talk about it. Uh, the cruise industry is, um, I wonder how that industry looks a year from now, simply because will people be willing to sort of enter an enclosed environment with 4,000 people uh, for an extended period of time where they don't have a lot of control over, over, uh, over, over, their, over their environment. Does that industry permanently change? I wonder about the airline industry, not so much the personal travel, because I feel that will come back, but business travel, which is much more profitable for uh, um, the airlines. Will businesses find in this environment that technology can replace some of the business travel, providing savings for of the companies as well as greater access to clients for their for on, on their sales aspect through technology rather than person to person meetings now person to person meetings will not go completely out of style but there will be an opportunity for businesses to increase their reach while saving money at the expense of of the kind of business travel we were used to where people would hop regularly on a plane I'm not sure how that will play out yet but uh, but that's an industry also considering the kind of stresses they're going to be under and the balance sheets and the operating leverage they have, I'm concerned about not uh, in the near term as well as the long term. Those are two industries I'm concerned about in the near term and the long term. And I remember September 11th uh, when the airline industry shut down for whatever it was, about a week, and everyone was, was saying the same thing about um, doing it remotely and not as many business meetings, and that went away very quickly. But this is a very different environment. I mean, this is... I've been holed up in my house with my family for the last 10 days uh, and we've got quite a ways to go. So to your point, it, it definitely feels like it will be different. And, and I can say from, from my standpoint, I've been able to get in touch with clients uh, more frequently than if I'm on the road because you're trying to manage your schedule, their schedule. And in this way, if it's a phone call, I think it's much more effective. Yeah, Doug, you know, you make a good point because I have the same concerns coming out of 9-11 regarding the airline industry. As you say, it, it, for the most part, business travel returned as it was before. But technology has advanced a lot in the last 20 years and people, and it, it could get on both ends, not only do companies uh, prefer 
that the big company that they their uh, sales or client representative meet their customers through technology. But the, if the cut, if we find the customers prefer that what method as well too, that'll that'll have a very long lasting impact. We will see. But there, the airline industry has other risks as well too. Uh, in the near term, the secular outlook though is at best uh, unchanged, but at worst could be significantly pressured. So let's shift the, the conversation a little bit and talk about div dividends. And, and there are some companies whose dividend yields have grown quite large. What's interesting is those dividend yeah. yields have not really protected companies to the downside that much, surprisingly so. Although having said that, one of the names which of our, one of our larger holdings, Chevron, when they declared their dividend and, and, and declared that their dividend was going to be protected and they had the balance sheet to do it, and they even said they would use the balance sheet to, to protect the dividend, the stock rallied meaningfully. So many, of the, so many of the companies have very high dividend yields. It's a signal that the market is skeptical of the, of the, of the sustainability of those dividends. Ford Motor, for example, is one company that recently cut their dividends. There will be others. They may not cut. They may just suspend a dividend for a quarter or two. Um, so the, what we've learned so far is the high dividend yields have not been able to protect investors to the downside. But at the end of the day, I'm, a dividend yield is only a part of our calculation of intrinsic value. And some of the companies whose uh, values have declined meaningfully, uh, I'm less focused on what their dividend yield and more on the discount to intrinsic value where, and their ability, those companies' ability to grow intrinsic value over time. That's another aspect. A lot of the companies which are finding the larger dividend yields are appearing. I am questioning their, those companies' ability to sustain growth over long periods of time because their high payout ratios are, are, are causing their... Um, retained earnings to not be able to fund any sort of meaningful growth. So a few weeks from now, we're going into earnings season. Um, what do you want to hear from the various management teams that you'll, you'll listen to or talk to uh, about how they are responding to the current environment, both from, you know, their employee base, but also from their business standpoint? Well, that's, that's first off, what I'm not concerned about is uh, first and second quarter earnings. Yeah. They, they, they will tell you nothing about the long-term value of the company. So what I want working to do is how these companies are, are uh, responding to the near-term pressures to make sure there's not a diminution in the, in the, in the long-term value of the business. Are they investing to keep uh, employees engaged, customers engaged, or, or, or employees employed, customers engaged to sustain the long-term uh, competitive position in the marketplace? And I think for the most part, the companies I'm invested in, that's what they're going to be looking to be doing because for the most part, they have the balance sheet to do it. And at the end of the day, that's a good use of the balance sheet is the, the, the ability to deal with these short-term pressures to maintain the uh, value of your business and then to invest in that business coming out of this to maybe take advantage of, of uh, competitors who weren't able to do so. So we talked about uh, the airline industry a little bit. Um, looking beyond just airline, you know, when you think about where we might be five years from now. So assuming, you know, two, three, four months, we get to the the other side of this of this event uh, and we start to recover sooner, maybe later, not sure. But um, what sort of long lasting effects do you think you're going to see um, broadly uh, after after we get through this? I've thought about that. There's a couple, and I'll say. There's been meaningful discussion about stock buybacks, for example, and stock, I think the discussion is missing the point. There are many ways for, for companies to return capital to shareholders, dividends, common uh, stock buybacks. Not sure why stock buybacks receive such negative uh, 
connotations, but they have. But many of the companies get in trouble, not through stock buybacks, but for poor acquisitions or poor capital spending decisions. Regardless, I think in terms of the meaningful impact, companies may look at and investors may look at corporate balance sheets and decide companies have been operating with leverage ratios, which were higher than, our, than is prudent going forward. So what we, we look at balance sheets a, a year, two, three years from now, and what was viewed as acceptable levels of, of debt and maybe and investment grade levels of debt and decide, no, th those balance sheets were too stretched. We may have to have um, less debt on corporate balance sheets to deal with uh, the unknown going forward. And, and hopefully, not, hopefully nine times out of 10, you won't need that, that better balance sheet, but companies may feel they need to uh, keep that leverage ratio lower. And it may result in part, I've thought about this too, if um, ratings agencies adjust how they uh, look at investment grade debt and if forcing companies, and if they wanna maintain an investment grade, have a, have a stronger balance sheet. I think that may be one of the more sustainable impacts of this is the, uh, the way that companies look at leverage. Yeah, one of the things that I was reading today is that, <clears throat> excuse me, the, um, that S&P has downgraded 565 bonds in the first quarter, which is well ahead of any pace for a quarter um, we've ever seen. So they're already starting to get a little bit more aggressive than what we saw in, in 08 and 09. So it'll be interesting to see how that continues. Well, I think the ratings agencies are responding to the criticism they received in 08 and 09. Yeah. We're not gonna do that again. So they're gonna be much more aggressive in their downgrades. And then coming through on the other side, they may, they may look at, at again, at, at what is the, the uh, prudent level of, of leverage for uh, American corporations to have on their balance sheets. So my second to last question, because the last question I have will be not business related. Um, you know, the, the toughest question, many clients are asking if we've hit a bottom yet. You know, we've had two days of pretty substantial rally in the equity markets. Um, I know this is a tough question. Um, and so we won't ask, or I won't ask what specific, whether we've hit it or not, but what are you, what data points do you look for um, that give you confidence that we're starting to turn the corner uh, and that things can get better? You know, I've seen estimates of valuations of, of, of earnings for next year. I don't know, but $170 on the S&P 500 was a earnings number, was a very reasonable uh, estimate. And if that is the case, the earnings number for 2021, I think you, you don't have to put too high a value uh, multiple on that $170 S&P earnings number to come up with a, a valuation comfortably higher than we were in the S&P. And it's certainly, when I look around at what your alternatives are in terms of investing, why um, earning uh, 80 basis points on a 10-year treasury or negative interest rates on 30-day T-bills, yeah. I think the equity markets in the environment where we are provides an attractive option for investors compared to what their other options may be. So my last question for you is, uh, how have things been going working from home? Well, it's, 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 it's working fine. I mean, I'm, I'm fully informed. I have access to the information I need. Uh, we have conference calls regularly with my fellow investors. I just miss the sort of the collegiality of uh, walking down the hall to one of the analysts, just sticking my head in their office and asking about a specific question. Somehow when you have to type it out on the email, the, the information that you get back is the same, but somehow it's not really as, uh, as robust, maybe perhaps. So I look forward to getting back in the office, but in terms of access to the information, why uh, I have all the information I need, but it's just, it's different, if you will. And certainly I found 
that I, when it, when it is different, I find the ability and the ease w with which we communicate one-on-one is more my style. So uh, I'm, I'm working well from home, but I'm looking forward to getting back to the office. As I, as I think we all are. Um, well, Chuck, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. I know that uh, it's a little different doing this over, over the internet than, than doing it in person, but uh, thank you for, for uh, coming on and doing this, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Doug, and I appreciate your help in all of this. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.